Searching for something wrong with her because she's she's apparently the perfect human being on the planet. Amanda <laughs> Lamb. Uh, How you, are you? Well, you've been digging hard enough, then. Well, I have. I finally found something wrong with you. And, and, and that would be what, Burl? Uh, I found her throwing her brother under the bus. And how did she do that? Well, we'll get to that. No, no, let's get to it now. <laughs> no, you don't. Landline. Are you on a landline, Amanda? No speaker. I I, I don't have a landline. Oh, this what a very high tech. But you're not using a, uh, a speakerphone, are you? No, I'm not. Good, Is that good. Not good for you guys. No, it's cool. No, you're cool. You're cool. You're fine. You're dandy. You're hot. Okay. Oh, by the way, what are you wearing? I forgot to ask. Oh, for crying out loud! Why does this always uh, happen? You know what? It's not exciting. Biking clothes. Oh, oh wait, now wait a minute. Came back from a bike ride. So. Oh, oh, biking clothes. I thought you said Viking clothes, and I got extraordinarily excited. And that would be exciting. Yes, clothes, yes. Yeah. I want to see you in Viking clothes. Yes. <laughs> Orange helmets. Now, I, now I'm gone. Yeah. yeah. So you know what you're getting here, right? Amanda? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I am feel, sensing I might be in danger. Well, that's that's correct. Not, you, not you're, too you're, much. No, your instincts are good because I, she is going to be in danger today. And, 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 and But she knows how to handle it. She's a broadcaster and a journalist, and I'm thrilled. But the... the Oh, God. Howard is trying to come up with something intelligent to say, Amanda. Just give him a minute. Oh. Well, I'll, okay. I'll be doing that for a long time. I won't come up with it. I'm just uh, honored to uh, to be able to chat with you. I Amanda think, uh, is rather a dynamic person. Yes. And we don't want this to, to go to her lovely head, but uh, everything she does, she does well, and she's been a, a trailblazer, a front runner, a dedicated human being. I don't know how she does it. Do you have a Wonder Woman outfit stashed somewhere in the house? Yeah, she's wearing it. It's the, 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 the Viking clothes. Viking clothes. Uh, no, you know what? I'm going to play. There we go. Yep. Does, that, does that sound a little better? I always yeah. like it when yeah, we, it does. I love it when we have a broadcast. lying to us. <laughs> yeah, she, she was absolutely lying. Yeah. That, that, she's a broadcaster, Matt. So, of course, she, you know, she was trying to get by, but she knew she had to fix it, and she did. Yeah, sounds Thank there you great. Go. You sound there great, go. Amanda. This is the number one true crime oh, radio show in the world. We keep saying that over and over, Amanda. No, and it's been written up. People believe it. You know, if you say it uh, often enough... People fall for it. There you go. <laughs> so, now, so if, if I was uh, if I was husband Reggie, you call him Reggie. 
you know what? He goes by a bunch of different names depending on whether he's in business or he's with friends. Uh-huh. But a lot of people, a lot of people call him Griff. Griff, okay. Yeah. Uh, short for grifter. If I was Griff. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> if I was, uh, he would be someone interesting to talk to because he'd be the one who'd know all your faults. Yes. <laughs> he de- definitely does. There's no doubt. 21 years. He definitely Wendy, congratulations does. on 21 years. Well, I've, I've, got you by, you. I've got you by a year minus two. But, but how many have you had? Uh, well, I've had two, but but uh, this one twenty two minus two, because mm. I was gone for two years. Yeah, boy, was that great time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amanda escaped from her first relationship. Well, we all have to have a starter marriage, Mark. You, you know that. Okay, so Amanda, uh, a news uh, journalist, awesome. television uh, in the South. Uh, I'm going to cut right to the chase. How do you feel this week? Uh, this has been a tough week, very tough week, as you guys can imagine. Um, but when this happened on Thursday, the shootings in Virginia, I mean, nobody could concentrate on anything because, you know, immediately it just hit so close to home. We were watching it nonstop, all the coverage, and we were covering it, of course, as any news station. But I think the hardest part for me is, you know, Allison Parker was 24 years old. And I could be her mother. Um, and so all I could think about as I watched the coverage was what family her parents specifically would be going through. And I also thought about the fact that, you know, I was Allison Parker. I did start out in small town TV in a small market, uh, you know, working crazy hours, eating nothing but peanut butter sandwiches and pasta. Uh, making no money, um, your coworkers become your family because you're working so many hours and you're in an unfamiliar place. And, you know, you're just full of hopes and dreams and you're hopeful that you're going to make it in this crazy business that asks a whole lot of people. Um, and it, it was just, it was devastating. And it was devastating as well because they weren't doing anything risky. You know, they weren't in a bad neighborhood. They weren't knocking on the doors of a murder suspect. They were doing what reporters all over the country do every single day, which is a routine shot. It was a feature story. It was a morning story. It was a fun story. There was nothing about what they were doing that should have put them at risk. No, it was another morning, and, uh, another, morning another hit, and, uh, and, you know, it was the second one of the day already. And yeah, exactly. And, of course, everybody knows where you are on TV. That's the other thing. So the vulnerability is, is multi-layered. You have the vulnerability of... Um, you know, everybody knows where you are. You're Facebooking it. You're tweeting it. That's, those are things we're required to do by our company. And then your anchors are saying, you know, coming up in the next half hour, and so it's going to be in such and such locations. So there's no way that people don't know where you are at all times. So that's how that's how he he he, he was able to follow. And there's no no mystery, no secret, no third party. No, Absolutely, right. yeah. I mean, there is no secret about where somebody's you know doing report. Um, but, you know, I think I think the next layer that that's really concerning and should concern all of us is the fact that this person um, videotaped this and then disseminated it. Um, I remember after the Virginia check shoot, there were several high-profile um, law enforcement folks and, and really like FBI profilers who said the next level here, the next thing that's going to happen is these people are going to start documenting their crimes on video and sharing them. And that's exactly what happened. 
So, so what we saw, and, and what I was I was talking to Matt earlier before the show. Uh, uh, you know, one of the first times I saw an actual murder from the perspective of the murderer in real time. Yeah, and, I don't. I mean, I don't ever remember seeing that. That's no. something out of a you know a. A movie couldn't have th- um, could, couldn't think it up for a movie to be honest with you it, it, it was and then uh, I know you saw it um, did your station run it we did not um, I mean the, the thing about it is is it it was up you know for a very short time on Facebook and Twitter yeah, yeah, and of course t- we are as a news station constantly researching and trying to find everything about this case so we all saw it because as soon as it was posted. Somebody yelled across the newsroom, and immediately your reaction as a news person is to look at this. And then immediately your reaction is, I really wish I could unsee that. Um, That's for sure. No question. Did you see it from uh, the shooter's perspective or from from the station? I saw both. You saw saw both? both. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, we chose not to air either. We we aired them up until the point um, when the shooter walked up. We did not even air him pointing his gun. Um, we are a very conservative station, and a lot of you know decision making and judgment and ethics go into sure. what we air in a situation like this. And, was, and you know, everybody makes their own decisions. Every news organization makes their own decisions. There's nothing more chilling than a gun appearing in view of the camera and then going down again before he's oh, shot. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's yeah, like I mean, you want to yell out, "Look, he's got a look." You, know, you want to warn the people oh, that can't hear you. They can't right, hear you. It, right. it was just so... Uh, you know, several years ago, imagine over 30 years because I was a youngster then. Oh, you were yeah. a youngster once? Yeah, I, I used to be. I wasn't always a, a decrepit old man as I am today. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a time when I actually experienced youth. But in my youth... You keep in, trying to do that, though, yeah. on a nightly basis. <laughs> yeah, I keep trying to create yeah. those days with chemical help. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and college go <laughs> Why don't you just, you know, just lay it all out for us? <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, I usually do that in the evening. But uh, there's a, in Spokane, Washington... Of course. Uh, ...which you may have heard of, all the major uh, networks affiliates were all side by side or across the street from each other on the top of a hill because that's where they put their towers. One evening for the, the evening news, someone came into the TV station where there was no security because this danger didn't occur to anybody and held the newscast staff at gunpoint live on television. Wow. That's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, Matt, do you remember that, Matt? Were you yeah. alive then? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so the other two stations, of course, this is the big story. So you have the other two stations. They're outside their competitor's station yeah. doing reports on the news people being held hostage. What was the outcome of that? The outcome was that they got the guy. He didn't kill anybody, thank God. We should yeah. do that. We should pull that stunt. That pull that stunt? Cool. Yeah, right. Get, get good ratings. That's a good idea. Yeah. That's a good one. But after that, <laughs> that's when stations started about security. Because it used to yeah. be you could just... They used to have disc jockeys broadcasting live from the window of, uh, you know, Frederick and Nelson's or, you know, uh, the Bon Marche or something. Uh, they don't do that anymore. No, it's very, I mean, you know, we have security. I mean, every team in America has security. But, you know, my belief and part of this is just having covered so many crimes is that, you know, if somebody wants to figure out a way to get to you, they'll figure out a way to get to you. Um, you know, the, the, what we saw this week was workplace violence. And all of us have place, or most people do. And, you know, anybody who is in a workplace is vulnerable. I spoke uh, yesterday at a company in our town um, that's one of the top technology companies in the world. 
So they have, you know, 30,000 employees on many, many campuses. And I spoke to their crisis intervention person about, you know, you are not immune to something like this. Um, domestic violence is a huge issue for the workplace. You know, somebody can come into your workplace looking for somebody, and then there's a collateral damage of everybody else who gets in the way, you know. Right. Um, so I just—it's something we all have to think about. I don't think it's something that's unique at all. And, and you're—I I trust you—you you did your own piece on this. You, Amanda, did a piece on this. Where, where, oh yes. What? Uh, tell us about that piece. That first piece you did after this happened. Um, the first piece that I did after this happened this week was who were the victims? Because obviously everybody wants to know who the victims are. Um, you know, it's a small business. And we immediately made connections um, with people who knew these people. Um, the shooter had worked in North Carolina in 2002 to 2004. And the um, victim, Allison, had also worked in North Carolina, not at the same station. But we immediately reached out to people that we knew at these various stations and found people willing to come in and do interviews, um, you know, about them and what they were like and, and what they remembered of them. Um, so that was kind of the first thing we did. Then, of course, we looked at the shooter. And that's, you know, multi-layered again because you're looking at, you know, his work history. Um, you're looking at he's filed, you know, several complaint suits. You're looking at his social media where he talked about the victims and also posted that video. And then, you know, this manifesto, which was slowly coming out. The details were slowly coming out. So we were learning more about him and his... Um, perspective, if you will. And, you know, quite frankly, I think most people looked at this as, you know, there's a mental illness component here for sure. Yeah. Um, and and I so, so we kind of looked at all of that. And then we looked at the social media. That was my third piece, was the social media aspect, because we've never had a situation like this where somebody has committed a crime and then put the evidence of the crime, the direct evidence, online almost immediately, I mean, within a couple hours. And, I mean, as you guys know, because you do this online, um, there is the ability to live stream uh, through different apps on your phone. He could actually have live streamed it if he wanted to. It's um, kind of terrifying. You know. So It's totally terrifying. It makes you want to go, you know, live in a remote cabin somewhere and not have well, any interaction you know, with the as, as you know, Amanda, you report crime and you write true crime, as do I, that any time you write true crime or report true crime, you put yourself potentially in the crosshairs of people who, for some reason, you don't want to act out against you. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had numerous times. We, we had a fellow on who wrote a book on the Franklin scandal and said one of the first things that happened is he received a phone call threatening his life. He said, when I got that phone call, I knew I was on the right track. Yeah, there you go. Amanda, yeah, have, I mean, have, I think for, have, have you been threatened? Um, not specifically. I mean, I think for the most part that crime, um, a lot of them, uh, you know, they're motivated by, they're motivated either by some kind of a, a, a financial gain or they're motivated by something personal. Um, you know, a, a crime against me that somebody has a has it out for, has, you know, revenge, anger, passion, whatever you want to call it. And so I think if they do focus on me for any period of time, it's just really a distraction from what they're really upset about and what they're really angry about. 
What I'm more of is people in the public, and this is just part of the whole social media thing, not having all the facts about a case and making decisions and deciding that I fall on one side or the other of something and then getting upset with me for my coverage, um, you know, and that... Yeah, when the conclusion jumping caution. There, there are, there, yeah. there are, do you believe there are two sides to this issue, this specific shooting? Um, to this to the shooting this week? Yeah. No, I don't think there's two sides. Absolutely not. Well, how I do you think know how that, you can justify it? How do you feel about the father wanting to take up the lead of the campaign, be the John Walsh, so to speak, of, of uh, You of know, um, it, I think in every case I've ever covered, um, with few exceptions, the murder victim's family looks for some way to make things better, some way to improve the situation so this won't happen to someone else. I think any time somebody is in that situation, we don't know what that's like to walk in their shoes. And so I feel that they should be able to fight for whatever they want and whatever, whatever in their opinion they feel would make a difference. It's interesting. So I think, you know, I, I don't know we, what we can do about legislating crazy. You know, that's yeah, the problem. Yeah, that's very, very difficult to legislate behavior. I yeah, th- and so, so I'm not sure what the answer is. Why does the left keep crying? Crazy too? I think the uh, the dad's got some interesting chops. You know, he uh, yeah. he learned from his daughter. Um, uh, we we in fact we've got three people in that town right now uh, for our show on Monday night, and and and, and I'm going to focus on other because he's an interesting man. Which show is that, Howard? That would be uh, Doctor Drew. My God, Howard manages the Doctor Drew. That's the star. When we say he's manager of the star, that's the star. Very nice, very very impressive. Thank you. I can um, be doing worse. But I do I do think we have to I think we've got to give murder victims family members the right to say and do whatever they want to do. And and if this is his thing and this is what's gonna make him feel better, um, I mean I had a guy years ago, this is the second book I wrote called Evil Next Door and it was about a young woman from Virginia who was just raped and murdered in her home. I mean it was a, ended up to be what people believed to be a serial killer. You know, just an awful, awful crime. And the father, the, the, the man killed himself. The father got no resolution in court um, because the suspect killed himself. So he sued the apartment complex saying the lighting wasn't good enough and the bushes were not high enough. And therefore, I mean, the bushes were too high, excuse me. And therefore, they masked the killer being able to get in the house. Um, the lawsuit never went anywhere. point is, you know, he's a desperate sad man and he has lost his child which is a nightmare and you know if this is what makes him feel like he's doing something to to improve things i mean let him have it is the way i feel so i feel the same about andy parker i just think that you know we don't walk in his shoes you know it um you, you also write about spirituality to a certain extent um, I do. I, I've written um, I've written one book about my daughter's prayer, and that's a lot about spirituality, but it's also a lot about just seeing the world through your child's eyes. Does she pray and for Barbie I, dolls? Huh? Does she pray for presents? Uh, she prays for other people. Good, good. I pray. I pray. Refreshing thing. Yes. But, you know. She she's just a really great kid, um, and she's twelve now. I wrote the book when she was six. Did but she one of the did she experience I, anything uh, with the shooting? Did she happen to see it? 
course, that's you know about it. Oh, she knows about all the news stories that I cover, absolutely. Um, and she has a very compassionate and kind heart, and she worries about people. And I bet she worries know, about you being a news reporter. She does. She does, but she understands how important it is for me to do it and how important it is for people to have, you know, credible experienced people delivering important information but you know she's a really she's a great kid and um i feel both of my have grown up understanding you know what's going on in the world um the other book that i wrote about is that touches on spirituality is um called the living room and i wrote that about my mom my mom had brain cancer in 2012 actually she died three years ago uh july so it was three years ago in july and um, we, my husband and I, my daughters, we made the decision. She was a lawyer in Pennsylvania. We made the decision to bring her to our home and to care for her ourselves um, until she died. And she died 80 days later. Um, but that journey really transformed me um, in a way that nothing else ever had in my life prior to that. So. Um, you Amanda, know, it just we, puts uh, things in perspective. We have to take a 60-second uh, break to let our local affiliates identify themselves. <laughs> we'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored.
There goes Phil again. Back to true crime uncensored. Yep, this should take a while, Amanda. Stick with us. No problem. <laughs> Man, I'm actually cutting up fruit as I'm talking to you. So. You're cutting up what? A fruit. Fruit. Anyone yeah. we know? Oh, oh, you edible fruit. Okay. Edible fruit, yeah, good fruit, yeah. Hey, I got a, a hint from a hint from Heloise for you. If you have fruits and vegetables, or you're afraid you're going to cut yourself, have someone else hold the fruits and vegetables and cut them. Yeah. Also, yeah, see, that was the joke, Mark. Yeah. You, also, you if you ever get an ice cube stuck in your throat, just pour some boiling water in, and that'll take care of it. With Burl and Howard Lapidus. Oh. And Howard Lapidus. Now, you were one of the very first women to really be a trailblazer in broadcast journalism in that area. Did you receive, uh, did you bump your attractive head against the glass ceiling at any time? I know, I don't really feel like I did. And I think part of that is that I, I work for a really good company. Um, but, you know, I was offered the crime beat when I was actually, I filled in. We had somebody leave. And I was offered it when I was pregnant with my second child. So she's 12 now, so that would have been about 13 years ago. And I thought, well, this would be kind of fun to do for a while, you know, something different. And I had covered crime over the years, but I hadn't done it exclusively. And, um, you know, I got into it, and then I said to myself, you know, I don't ever want to go to another meeting. Featuring um, Mark C.G. Boyer. Council meeting, just because I've always been interested in this. Um, I think I've told you before, my dad was a prosecutor, so I grew up in the courtroom. My mom was a lawyer, not a criminal lawyer, but she was a lawyer. And I just have found the, the whole thing fascinating, the taking of something that's a very emotional, intense situation and stripping it down and making it about the law. Yeah, which is essentially what happens when you walk into the And, and yet, as a reporter, and you're covering this, you, you just like any other true crime writer, investigative reporter, you deal with the, the human element of the, the, the broken and tragi uh, tragically affected family members. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. That, I mean, that's a huge part of what I do. I, you know, as soon as um, something, a lot of times crimes happen on the weekends or at night, and I don't cover the initial uh, scene. I'm the person a lot of times that, that goes out Monday and, you know, then tries to find these people who yeah. are affected. Well, when I, um, first, uh, when I first got into the true crime genre, uh, Gary C. King, a very well-known true crime author, took me aside and he said, let me warn you, he says, be prepared to cross. Yeah, it's a very emotional, you know, it's interesting, too, what affects you because you, all, you think I've seen it all, I've heard it all. Um, and I did a, a very interesting case a couple weeks ago it, it was a, a case where a, a couple was having a wedding party and they invited uh, their son was 18 and he invited some of his friends well of course the parents were involved in the wedding party they weren't policing the kids the kid there was drinking alcohol was you know obviously plentiful it was a wedding and um one of the kids got really his parents um had said earlier in the evening we'll pick you up and he said, okay. And then at 11, uh, excuse me, I think 1021, he texted, you know, I need a ride. 1016, I think it was. And 1021, the dad says, okay, I'm on my way. And at 1027, for some reason, the boy took off and crashed um, and died. And his mother on the stand was one of the most heartbreaking uh, pieces of testimony I've ever seen in a trial because, you know, you're a parent, you see this. And you realize that what whatever happens, 
it's totally preventable. You, you, know? you, you as a reporter have a hard time taking yourself out of it? Well, I mean, I don't think you can be a good reporter and not not have compassion. I mean, I think, you know, if you're completely jaded and, and you don't feel anything for these people, then I don't think you're going to be a good reporter. I mean, I think you have to separate it when it gets down to the moment and you have to work um, and you have to put a story together. But I think, you know, part of what I hope what I bring to the table is that I've been doing this a long time. I have experience and some depth and some context. And so when I do a story, I hope I bring some humanity to it. I mean, have that's you, my have goal. You, have, you ever, have you ever not covered a story purposely? Um, you know, I think it depends on the time you are in your life. When I had babies, I really didn't want to cover, you know, cases where babies were killed. Um, when I had, um, you know, toddlers, if a toddler got, you know, a kid ran out in front of a car, you know, then that hits home. But in general, I mean, I've covered everything uh, pretty much that's come down the pike. But some are harder than others when now, you can when, relate to them. When you first got into this and you go, I like this this crime thing because of my background, etc. Was there a point when something came up that hit you so hard you may have had second thoughts of, ooh, I didn't know I was going to have to deal with this? Um, You know... I can't think off the top. Well, yeah, I have one example. And this this is, you know, a, this was an accident. It wasn't a crime. It, well, it turned out to be a crime. But I remember going to a drunk driving crash where a mother and child were um, hit by a repeated habitual drunk driver who was on, also on heroin, I believe. The first cases in North Carolina where they charged somebody with murder and drunk, a drunk driving case. And she was on the stretcher. Um, and she was praying out loud um, because her four-year-old, who ended up dying, you know, she knew she was in critical condition. And it was almost this eerie silence. There was all of these, um, you know, EMS people and paramedics and people all around her. And she was on a backboard and she had a head brace on and she survived. But the fact that she was just her hands up in the air praying out loud for this child to live. Um, and I remember thinking, and I have kids at that point, and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I, I don't know if I can handle this kind of grief. I mean, this is heavy. Um, but, you know, over the years, what I've tried to do is I, I try, you know, you can't walk in their shoes because you're not in their shoes, but I try to relate to them, especially as a parent, if, you, if somebody's lost a child. Um, and I, I, I try the best that I can to, you know, have compassion and understanding and believe me there are plenty of people in these situations who slam the door in my face or slam the phone oh, yeah. down and i have no um negative feelings about that because they again have a right to react any way they want they're the ones going through something really awful and traumatic that i can't truly understand and so you know i, I take it you know if you call me names and you're in that situation, you know, that is your, that's your right. Would you interview a kid on camera, for instance, uh, up in Connecticut when the, the the shooting at the school took place and 20 kids were dead? There's uh, ABC, it was 2020, put somebody on the street and they were having hits from kids. You know, we're very careful when we talk to children and kind of our rule of thumb is that they, we need to have parental permission, um, you know, depending on their age and how young they are. 
But, you know, interesting, Burl, is that we are now in a situation where so many of the people involved in our crimes are very young teenagers. Right. And so, like, for example, this week, uh, we have sentencing starting next week, but we had a, a, a jury verdict on the guilty verdict, two first-degree murder convictions for a 15-year-old. Now, he's Ooh. now 18, but he was 15 when he um, committed these crimes. It was gang-related. Um, his name is Jonathan Santian. And he, uh, according to investigators, and of course now he's, he's convicted, but according to investigators, he was in a gang fight and they were looking for somebody. They thought they had the right address. They had the wrong address. And this couple, Jose and Maria Mendoza, hardworking, two young sons. They've been working for 14 years at the same restaurant, you know, happily married. Basically, they worked, went to church and took care of their family. They're just home from work. She's making her husband dinner. He's laying on the couch uh, with a plate of food, and wrapped in a blanket, watching TV. And this guy, and allegedly somebody else who has not been convicted at this point, so at least this guy, um, go in and fire 40 rounds. Jeez. And, you know, uh, the, 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 the husband is shot 16 times, the wife is shot seven. I mean, talk about the word, that is the definition of the word overkill. Um, so, you know, we're seeing that kind of stuff happen. We had two weeks prior to this, we had a 13-year-old killed um, in a neighborhood in Raleigh that, again, no definite um, proof yet, but there's talk that, you know, that could definitely be gangrel. And so it's like, what is going on, you know? I, I and wanna, so I, I wanna, when you're talking about kids, like, are these kids? I, I don't know. Are they? Well, are, we're I talking, mean, I was talking about, you, know, you kind of drifted past the, the answer, but... but I'm no, I know about, what you're saying. Yeah, just putting a young child at random on camera. Um, and no, I wouldn't do that. And I, I mean, you, you, you know as well as I do uh, that uh, faster than a speeding bullet, I can get a parent's name on a, on a release, and so can you. You know, that's right. that doesn't count. You know, we're trained to do that. We know how to do that. And, uh, you know, there are those that go out there to do it, do it and get the story, and kids on television, as ABC did uh, uh, on that that night. Um, and I think it's, you're right, kids are getting involved. They're younger and younger all the time. It's a shame. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with a, uh, you know, I've got a 20-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son who's a fire cadet. I still worry about them, and, and you know, anything can happen. They're hardly at home. They're never Sweet at home. Mother of God, what is the holdup? Yeah, I mean, I do think you have to use judgment. You know, in everything that we do in this business, you have to use your best judgment um, about what's appropriate and what's not. I mean, again, I'm just lucky I work for a really good organization where we have those conversations, and I have a news director who's very cautious um, and prudent and has good judgment. And so we, we do have those conversations when well, we are concerned. It, it is best to, to err right of, uh, of discretion. Uh, we had a prosecutor uh, on the program who was lamenting that he turned on Nancy Grace's program, and they were talking about his case, and they were talking about the buckets of blood in the car. And he's screaming at the TV set, what buckets of blood? Right. <laughs> I mean, they're just making it up. Well, we have to make it up. Bro. Well, I mean, you know as well as I do that sensationalism sells. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, in a murder case, there's plenty of things that are dramatic enough. You don't need to make them any more dramatic. That's right. Um, We're going to take a very 60-second break, Amanda. We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. 
numbers full of cinnamon and two or three egg whites. A half a stick of butter melted. Stick it all in a bowl, baby. Stir it with a wooden spoon. Mix in a cup of flour. You'll be in heaven soon. Say, everybody, have you seen my balls? They're big and salty and brown. If you ever need a quick, pick me up. Check my balls in your mouth. Hey, there's my son. You've been in your room all morning. Hey, Dad. Um, Matt, what's wrong with your voice? There is nothing wrong with my voice. Oh, well, it's just sort of... I have been playing my video games and electronic games for so many hours. Uh-huh. Well, it, it might be time for you to take a break, or... Hello, Dad. Um, Susan? I have been watching TV and text messaging all morning. Yay, electronics. Yay, yay, yay. Guys, I think it's about time to get in the car and take a little trip. Maybe see some trees, some green things. What are the things you speak of? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Yes. If you own your own cell phone, and we know you do, <laughs> or you want to be on Flash Friday with uh, me, well, then you better uh, turn your computers. You know what the computer is right there? Yes, dear. <laughs> yes, you do. Listen to Outlaw Radio every Saturday. Free pay. You won't regret it. Love you, ladies. Where did they go for the app? Yeah, how did they find the app? Well, I don't want to mention that because it would take away from my promotions. Is it RadioLoyalty.com? Yeah, can it out? could be. Yes, <laughs> I did. I did say that with his with his approval. 
Because he actually, uh, he actually agrees with that statement. Really? So, now, if I, I thought, gee, oh, her brother's going to be pissed when he reads that. No, actually, yeah, I told him I told him I was going to tell the truth, and uh, he said, "Uh oh." Uh, but you know what's amazing? Talk about transforming. Um, since that time, he has just continued to live in a way that my mother would have been proud. And the crowd and goes wild. So I really think that there is things um, very transformative and humbling about taking care of somebody as they're dying, and you know, especially a parent who uh, they have spent their whole lives taking care of you, and then all of a sudden you're in that role. There's this role reversal, and, you know, it's very... Um, it makes you feel like a very strong person that you're able to do that for your parent. And my, my brother really stepped up to the plate and has continued to... Um, do really well, and so I'm proud that, of So that's, that's not Pearl. Well, see, if you don't have that backstory. You, you made it sound like. Well, it, it does. If you know what she just said, yeah. it sounds as if she's saying, and my brother was a total undependable. She, she, she arm wrestled you and took you down in a sec. Yeah, well, she's a pro. Yeah. yeah. A professional speaking wrestler. Of, speaking of being a pro, um, you're in the market you've been in for quite some time, and it sounds like you enjoy it. But, uh, you know, we saw those kids and. We know that they were involved in a business that they had some upward trajectory to come. Uh, how about you? You you're still thinking about the upward trajectory? You're happy where you are? What's you know? I I think um, this. I'm always open to things. Um, what I have learned though in this business, which is really kind of cool, is that you know you can do a lot of things. Um, I think most people have diversified, and I have as well. So, you know, I'm able to work for this great news organization. I'm also able to write books. Um, I write blogs. Um, and I do a lot of shows. I do radio um, and I do TV. I do a lot of true crime shows. I do a lot of with Discovery. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of things um, with uh, A&E, Forensic Files, and different, you know, there's, a, there's right. a lot of shows out there. So I've been able to really diversify, and I'm, I'm happy with that balance. Um, I do a lot of speaking. Um, I've done a little teaching, and um, it's allowed me to be a parent, you know, which was really the most important thing to me. I didn't want to go to a market where I couldn't parent my children, and I right. couldn't be home every night. That's very important. I remember I've said to me, a lot of people confuse being big or being in a big market with being successful. Being successful is being able to be with your family and enjoy well, your family. I, I, I didn't have a family until I knew where I was going to be forever. You know, when I yeah. finally got here, you know, the goal, get to Los Angeles quick. And then you get to Los Angeles and you go, well, I'm not going anywhere else. I can't. There's <laughs> nowhere else to go except back to Pendleton. I'll go back to, uh, to back to Buffalo. What but, happened to Petaluma? Petaluma, I had nothing to do with it. Oh. But the, the uh, uh, you know, that's when you're in, you have a chance to raise your kids and be with your kids. And, and uh, all of us uh, uh, have kids. Mark C.G. Boyer has we've got uh, his nephews. No, no, but but he, we all kind of understand that. Yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, it's the old adage that we hear all the time, but you, you know, you can kind of turn your, your cheek to it, which is, you know, you, you can't get these years back. And you also, this is one job, if you mess it up, I mean, you can't recoup from not doing your job as a parent. So um, the way I've looked at it is I've had great opportunities to do a lot of different things. Now, my youngest goes to college in six years. Uh, I'm not counting, not counting. But, um, you know. Empty nest syndrome oh, fear coming up here. We are all counting. But, my son's you know. got a year and a half to go. <laughs> okay, well, my oldest is and then my yeah. youngest is six. So, 
you know, certainly do I have my eye on, you know, what the next chapter is, although I feel like I've had a couple of chapters already. Um, but, you know, I love I love broadcasting. I love TV. I love radio. I love writing. So I feel like there's always going to be opportunities. And really, you know, with the way the, the world is moving with that and everything, you can pretty much work from anywhere, uh, you know, and then be available if you have to travel. But I've had a I've had a, a, a blessed life uh, here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I can't complain at all. Well, it's the it's it's the town that Ric Flair lives in, and you you, you can't, can't go wrong if Ric Flair is there. No, not pretty boy. Ric yeah, Flair, there we no. go. <laughs> Uh, I do. Uh, I, I do want to take a moment before. We, yeah, we're not quite at the end of the show, but I do want to before it slips away from me. Thank you very much for being so uh, forthright, honest, and going to a place that uh, you probably didn't expect to go to, and that is uh, seeing what happened this week through your very own eyes as a professional. Oh, well, I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's very relevant, and I think it's a conversation that we have to continue to have about. You know, where are we going in our country with, with these these issues and, and how can we be an open society, a free society, but also prevent tragedies like this from happening? No, I, I agree. And do remember this, and I know we'll have you back. Whenever you hear a smart question, it's not Burrow. Gotcha. <laughs> you, hear that? I, you know what? Even Burrow, though I don't believe that. For hey, Burrow, uh, I think that was an insult. Uh, no, it wasn't. I should be I, upset. No, I asked uh, probably the smartest question of the day, and, and she answered, uh, Burrow, uh, and, and I, I was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. Well, yeah, you, we, you, know, you know I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the, no, I want to get no, back no. to the security issue, and, uh, t- just from the standpoint that of having experiences myself of being threatened. I was once threatened by a police officer who was corrupt. And, wow. And... Uh, I, I had stumbled upon his corruption without knowing it. I was investigating a, a case, and he thought that I was going to out his corruption. And he came to my house. And, That's pretty scary. Yeah, and, and threatened it's me called the in a very layer. oblique manner. Where I learned the lesson is never investigate a true crime case in your hometown. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, that was more than the when the Nazis threatened me or one thing or another. When you have someone who's in law enforcement threaten you, that's a whole other dimension. Yeah, that's a whole other level. I mean, you know, the way that I look at it, and, and there's so many people that say things online all the time that could be construed as threatening. But the way that I look at it is like, are you going to stop swimming in the ocean uh, because we've had a couple of shark attacks? Um, I'm not. Um, So, you know, I think that you just have to live your life and you have to not take stupid risks and you have to, you know, take calculated risks and try to be careful and be aware of your surroundings. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, you have to live your life. Bro, there's one thing to mention I totally forgot. And I'll get in trouble if I don't mention this. One of my true crime books is being reissued. Oh, good. um, With a new ending. um, They're not guilty in the new version? No, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? No, basically what happened was the appeals court overturned this. This was a case uh, of a guy by the name of Brad Cooper um, who was convicted of killing his wife, Nancy Cooper, said she went out for a job and um, ended up that they had a troubled marriage. A lot of that came out in court. It was mostly circumstantial evidence, and he was convicted, uh, and that was in 2011. And then recently, the... the, um, the appeals court overturned it, and after a lot of back and forth, he ended up pleading guilty to second-degree murder. So, you know, a lot of people said, well, are you going to do the new ending? 
and my publisher wasn't interested, so my agent found another publisher, Good. Diversion, and they reissued that book, and that comes out September 20, I'm looking at my calendar right now, uh, it comes back out September 21st. What's the I'm title? I'm sorry, September 22nd, yeah, and it'll be available on Amazon. What's the and title? It's, it's Love Lies, L-O-V-E-L-I-E-S. Blood Lies. Um, Okay. Yeah, Love Lies. A Love so Lies, L-O-V. all my L -O -V. books have this lovely alliteration that makes them sound like a Lifetime movie. And somebody said, well, why are all your books like that? And I said, because I want them to be Lifetime. <laughs> yes, <laughs> don't we all? There's nothing yeah, wrong. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Nothing wrong with a Lifetime movie. No. I'm, I'm up there. We begging. had the woman on. They did a Lifetime movie on this case, the one where, where she worked at the bank, and uh, uh, these guys come to her house and wire her up with what looks like dynamite and force her to rob her own bank. And wow. they made a Lifetime movie out of that. And I had her on the show. She said that after that was all over, she and her daughter took off to go as far away as possible where nothing would remind them of people with ski masks breaking into their home and wiring them with dynamite. I said, where'd you yeah. go? She said, Good Anch point. Ag Anchorage, Alaska. Good <laughs> said, point. Didn't you notice that everyone there was wearing ski masks? I bought a ski mask in Anchorage. <laughs> and, I said, I'm not kidding. and she said, it didn't occur to us till we got there and saw everybody in ski masks. <laughs> Way too funny. That's a tragic story. Yes, it is. I'm glad the book is coming out again. I love it when the books come out again because yeah, it's you get great checks to in the be mail able to reissue money. it with the with the right ending. You know, with the with the what's happened since the book was published. So I think people who were interested in that case will be happy to see um, it reissued because it went print and yeah. nobody's been able to get it unless you uh, get it on. Our you know, friend either. Corey Mitchell, our friend Corey Mitchell, who very sadly died this last year rather suddenly, uh, one of his big books, uh, he wrote it the end of it, that he didn't believe that the people were guilty. Uh, and it turns out he was right. They weren't. Interesting. And the case was overturned. They were found, they were all revealed to be not guilty whatsoever. They were railroaded, and he thought so. And he died. Wow. And it turned out he was absolutely correct. We also had, you'll get a kick out of this, the woman, uh, we had her live in the studio, the woman wrote the book about the woman in, in San Diego who was convicted of poisoning her husband with arsenic and then using the insurance money to get her breasts enlarged. She didn't have one put in the center of her back to make her more fun to dance with, but just about. Uh, the, uh, as it turns out... Oh, hold on. Uh, hold on. No, no, no. As it turns out, the woman did not kill her husband. And the prosecutors knew she didn't kill her husband. But wow. they prosecuted her so they could be heroes in a true crime book. Thing. And the, she was authorized to sue the prosecution, the prosecutor's office in San Diego for something like $14 million. Wow. Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you're a reporter specifically, but, and you know, if you do cover true crime, you have to keep an open mind. You have to believe that anything's possible and you can't make a decision. And despite what, you know, some people who write comments online think, I don't make a decision um, on somebody's guilt or innocence. Until I've heard all the evidence. And then even when I have an opinion, for obvious reasons, because I'm still a journalist working in TV, uh, if I'm covering a case, I share that opinion. Try. So, um, And I, I try very, very hard um, to have, you know, both of the sides represented. A lot of times, let's be honest, the, the prosecution 
the um, the victim's family, the cops, they will talk, and a lot of times the um, suspect's family will not talk. So you have an opportunity to get that other side other than what comes out in court. Yeah, um, recently I did an episode of, uh, maybe you've done them also, Deadly Sins, one of the shows I've done on Investigation Discovery every year. Yes, I've been it's, on that as well. It's one of our shows. <laughs> yes, one of our shows. Yes, it is. And, uh, Darren uh, created that show. Yeah, well, the, the, I originally was going to be a book. You knew yeah. that, didn't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was going to be a book, uh, a book Daryl. Uh, Daryl did, uh, I can't even say it, let alone talk about it. It was going to be a book we were going to do together, and then it wound up being a TV show we wound up on together, so I'm very happy about that. You may still end up doing that book. Really? But that, not this time. Not this time. Okay. No. Anyway, uh, it was one about uh, a killer hooker and her boyfriend, and he's doing 50 years uh, for murder, and she did 10. And in looking into the case, I personally am convinced that he had nothing to do with it. But, of course, wow. we didn't mention that on, on Deadly Sins because it's just far too good to just tell the story the way it played out. It sounded more interesting the other way, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what happens in every case is, is there are if there's co-defendants, generally the police are going to talk to everybody and see who decides to confess something first. And that person gets the deal. Oh, I mean, you know yeah. How there that was, works. In fact, the prosecutor actually said the first one through the door gets the deal. H- hang on. Would that be in Washington? <laughs> yes. That's what I was afraid of. Yeah. Well, it's either Florida or Washington. Yeah. No, they, no. He, he always he, teased me, Amanda, that all the murders and killers are all from Washington. Because that's all you write about. No, no. I write about other states. <laughs> the one, fusion. The yeah. one we have coming out in February that'll be on Investigation Discovery, a new show called Epic Mysteries. Uh, a taste for murder. That's a California case. How about that? See, it's not a Washington yeah, case. Yeah. Can't yeah, give away but, uh, the it starts, it starts out in... in uh, <laughs> it starts from well, now well, New Rockaway. Did they give you a hundred bucks for that one? Uh, more than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Much more than that. Thank wow. you, Rick. Maybe he'll pay me back. Yeah. Hey, Amanda, if you ever get to the West Coast, you promise you will stop in and visit us live in the studio. Absolutely. And, you know, if you ever need me to do a show... And you need me out there. Available. Hear you loud and clear. Wow. Okay. Let All me right. know. We Let me it. know. And say hi to Grip for us. He's got a lot of stamina. I will. <laughs> okay. Thanks I a lot. Will. Thanks a lot, Amanda. Thanks, hey, Burl. Thanks very much. Yeah. Burl, what, uh, what's next? Uh, Magic Man Adam and the Demons of Decadence, including but not limited to Howard Lapidus, Mark C.G. Boyer, Brother Bart, uh, maybe Frank here, and some strange guests from another planet. All on Outlaw Radio USA.